Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the latest edition of Inside the Huddle. I'm your host, Sammy Jacobs. We have co-host TJ Inman on the line with us. TJ, how are you? I am doing great, Sammy. Ready to talk some football. Awesome. Um, we're going to take a look back at last year uh, because I think you need to know a little bit of history. So you're not doomed to repeat it. Um, TJ, last year was kind of a lost year. It was the year that IU uh, was going to take a step forward uh, in everybody's eyes. They didn't. Nate Sudfeld got hurt. There were some transfers, uh, other transfers at the quarterback position. Um, and, you know, the Hoosiers season was doomed after the Iowa game. Yeah. Yeah, I think – what uh, what we wanted to do with this, I don't know if you want to call it a segment, but with this, uh, this portion of the next, hopefully, couple of weeks, uh, if this goes well, is, you know, we, we've been looking back at last season to pinpoint some specific things that kind of went wrong for IU, not just, oh, Nate Sudfeld got hurt, which obviously played a huge role, but as you say, uh, those who do not learn from their mistakes are doomed to repeat them So for IU, we wanted to pinpoint some things that they didn't do well that they're going to have to improve upon in order to the same result, which was a 4-8 season, but instead to get to that bowl game that's so important uh, for Kevin Wilson's program. And, you know, um, the first thing that we wanted to talk about was third down efficiency. Um, Everybody is aware that converting third downs is a really important part of football and for IU last year, it did not go well. Um, yeah, I was stunned when I read that they finished 2014 at number 124 in third down conversion rate, which is ahead of only four schools, uh, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, UT San Antonio, and Temple. And that's that's just that's really, really bad. Um, TJ, those are four yeah. powerhouse programs right there. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, Temple routinely competing for one win. Um, but, they, you know, they only converted 30, 30.2% of third downs. Um, that's just not going to get it done. You know, uh, a benchmark for kind of mediocrity on third down would be somewhere around the 40% mark. And if you can get above 40%, you're probably going to be near that top 50 Um Last year, the 50th place team on that list, which is you know very average, was UTEP, a conversion rate of 42.2. So you're trying to get to that 42% threshold to get you into that above average mark. Um, so I, you know, we wanted to wanted to talk about okay, so third down conversions need to improve. So what do you think IU could look at? as, okay, we can do this and this and this in order to improve their third down rate. What are some players? What are some maybe scheme changes, some things that you think Indiana can do better on third down uh, to improve that this year? Uh, Well, you know, in my opinion, the game of football, it all, you know, blends together. Third down is affected by your plays on first and second down. And if, you know, you're facing third and 10 or third and seven, it's a lot more difficult to pick up than when you're facing a third and two or a third. And, uh, I think 
for IU. The return of Nate Sudfeld uh, is going to be a, a, a major help. Uh, teams' defenses are going to have to respect the pass again. Uh, you know, rewatching some of the games, I, I just uh, I just finished the IU Michigan State game, which is the first start for Diamond. But you see these teams, the second half of Iowa and, and the Michigan State team, they were putting eight, nine, nine guys in the box, and it's very, it was very hard for you know Tevin Coleman to run consistently. Now he had a, he had some great games later on in the season, but mm-hmm. you know if IU can get you know four yards on first down, three yards on second down, and just make it a, a more manageable third down conversion. Um, Especially with the threat of the pass, it, it they, I mean, you can't get much worse than 124th. So, you know, it, it's got to go up. Uh, and, and I think having Sudfeld back, having a passing game back, and, and you know, these receivers have to catch the ball. There were third downs where Xander made a great throw, and the receiver dropped it. Uh, you know, one one of them stands out to me was Simi Cobbs' drop against Penn State that might have changed mm-hmm. the game. Um, so, I mean, continuing drives, you saw it in the Bowling Green game. Bowling Green, it's a game that IU shouldn't have lost. I was reading Bill Connolly's preview last night from SB Nation, and he has performance performance percentiles. And IU was at like a 96% chance of winning that game, and they played statistically one of the best games of the year. Um, but they they couldn't get Bowling Green off the field. The Bowling Green ran 113 plays. They converted like seven third downs, two fourth downs, and that's because they were in manageable uh, third down, uh, third and shorts. So that that'll keep IU's defense off the field if their offense could do it, and, and it wears out the opponent's defense. Yes, yeah, I think the performance on first and second down having an impact on third down is a really important point. Uh, and I think that one of the things that having Nate Sudfeld back with a hopefully fully healthy season, I think one of the things that that does that maybe goes under the radar a little bit is it really helps out the sack rate. I don't have that in front of me, but I know that when Xander Diamant took over, the sack rate, which is going to be the percentage of times that IU gets sacked on a drop back for a pass, uh, the sack rate skyrocketed when Xander Diamant went in, which makes sense. Um, he's a guy that's not going to go through his progressions as quickly as Sudfeld does because he just doesn't have the experience. Uh, he's also a guy that, you know, had a little bit of a, you know, he's undersized. Uh, particularly last year, we know he's put on some weight, which is great. Uh, that'll help his future. But last season, he was just not prepared physically or uh, game experience-wise to take over that spot, and it, it showed as teams really came after him uh, whenever he dropped back sent a lot of guys blitzing because they weren't afraid of of him beating them with his arms. So they just blitzed him. Um, yeah. So that sack um, rate is well, going to go down. Go ahead. Yeah, I have those sack rate numbers. Uh, Sudfeld okay. was sacked eight times, um, which was 4.6% of his dropbacks. And Diamant was sacked 16 times, which is 10.8% of his dropbacks. Uh, they both... Uh, Sudfeld played one half less than Diamant, uh, but you, you'll probably see, uh, you know, Sudfeld now senior. The sack rate should go down. Uh, they are breaking in, uh, you know, four new starters on the offensive line, even though those guys have starting experience. 
Um, mm-hmm. We'll see how the the offensive line uh, does does hold up. I, I think they should be okay. But yeah, you're right. The sack rate should should go down, and, and that does help. Uh, you know, on first and second downs. Yeah, that'll keep you out of those third and medium to third and long situations, and hopefully. Uh, when you are facing third downs, hopefully the majority of the time it's going to be that third and three or less, uh, which we classify as third and short. And one of the things that I think could be improved in IU's run game, um, you know, they lose the explosiveness, which, as Bill Connolly pointed out, was just unlike pretty much anything else we're going to see or we have seen so far in the last 15 years of college football that explosive ability from Tevin Coleman to turn any seam into a touchdown. But I think one of the things you could see improve in the IU run game is going to be their conversion rate on third and short. Uh, I think Jordan Howard provides a little bit more pop in between the tackles than Tevin Coleman did just because of his size uh, and his physical running style. And Divine Redding, I think, showed the ability to pick up some third and shorts as well. Could see a little bit better conversion rate on those third and shorts or even maybe fourth and shorts. Uh, and I think you'll see Nate Sudfeld was was pretty good at picking up those short quarterback sneaks whenever IU did decide to run them. So um, I think you'll see that improve a little bit as well. Uh, you know, you're right about that Bowling Green game. IU really did a lot of things incredibly well and still found a way to lose that game. And then they bounced back against Maryland. Um, or, I'm sorry, well, bounced Missouri. back against Missouri with the huge win uh, at Mizzou. But then that Maryland game, um, you know, it was interesting because I was looking at the third down conversions um, in IU's losses, and really with Sudfeld, they were up and down. I mean, against Maryland, they went 9 for 19 on third down still got hammered by the Terps, so it's not everything, but I do think it is one stat that, particularly in that extended losing streak that IU had in the Big Ten, you know, before beating Purdue, IU never did better than 25% on third down, so I think just having Sudfeld back is going to improve that third down rate, and if you can bump up that average of conversions by, like, 10%, you're looking at an additional 20 to 25, uh, you know, set of downs, which... If if IU were able to to do that, just get to average on third downs an additional twenty to twenty five set downs with this offense, I think you could see you know an uptick in points, or you would expect to see an uptick in points of at least you know three or four points a game. So um, yeah, and, and the funny thing is you mentioned the Maryland game and they went nine for nineteen, but the win against Missouri they go one for fourteen on third down. So yeah. it, it's yeah. not the perfect statistic or perfect teller. But it is definitely something that IU needs to improve upon uh, to to succeed. I thought Maryland was the the worst game they played. I know Bill Connolly no has the the Michigan game as their worst performance. But if you take into account that Sudfeld was starting at uh, against Maryland, the game is at home. Mm-hmm. It was coming off a big win. Um, it was just a weird game in general. I rewatched that game too. IU had two touchdowns called back on penalties early in the game that, that would have changed the tone. There was a win-punt return that got called back on a uh, block in the back by the Ray Smith. Uh, and then I believe uh, Tevin Coleman had a long touchdown run called back um, on a holding call on one of the offensive linemen. So that really changed the tenor of the game. And, and you know, that, that if 
IU wins that game, who knows what happens? You're you're then three and one heading into North Texas. You're you assume you beat North Texas like you did. Uh, you're four and one. You only need two more conference wins, and you know maybe Nate Sudfeld stays healthy, and, and then you pull out two more wins. So you know a lot of things went wrong, and, and a lot of things in the Wilson era have gone wrong. And you could go back to 2012 when Trey Roberson broke his leg against UMass, and that forced Nate Sudfeld to burn his redshirt year, and um, and get on pace with you know, Roberson in terms of eligibility left. And and who knows, maybe, you know, Cam Kaufman stays if Nate Sudfeld redshirts or if something else happens. So really it's a domino effect. And, you know, I was thinking about that last night. I was like, what if Trey Roberson never got hurt against UMass? Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it, it's all, you know, revisionist history. Uh, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But there, there are a lot of things IU can improve. Uh, red zone, uh, red zone defense is also was was horrific last year. I, I believe opponents scored like 96 percent of the time on them. Uh, so that's another place where they can improve. That really, that you know, if they could keep people off the scoreboard uh, a little bit more, then then yeah, they're they're going to win some games. Yeah. Yeah, red zone defense and offense both. Um, you know, finishing drives. That's that's one of the stats that is used in Bill Connolly's preview. Um, and since we're using it, you know, on here, uh, we'll we'll go ahead and plug it. Uh, it's excellent. Bill Connolly writes for SB Nation. Uh, just do a Google search for Bill Connolly or search on the SB Nation uh, home site for Bill Connolly. C O N N O L L Y. Uh, he has extensive previews for every team. A new one comes up generally every day. Uh, and he's gotten to the Big Ten. IU kicked off the Big Ten after the Notre Dame preview. So uh, read through those, and they're just tremendous. But um, the finishing drives is an advanced stat. And since we're talking about the red zone, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more in-depth way of talking about red zone scoring. Uh the number calculates kind of the points per trip when you get inside of the 40. So they count a scoring opportunity being inside of the opponent's 40-yard line. Um, IU ranks 72nd in the country in points per trip inside the 40. Uh, they got 4.4 points each trip inside the 40 and 105th in red zone S&P. So, again, not that's an offensive stat where you expect Kevin Wilson offense to be much, much better than that. And yes, the Nate Sudfeld injury absolutely had some to do with that. Maybe, you know, probably a whole heck of a lot to do with it. But it is something that we look at as a metric that Indiana can drastically improve to bump up their win total this coming season. Uh, I looked back at a couple of the drive charts and I use losses. The Bowling Green game, as you said, really sticks out as a huge missed opportunity. You know, IU turned it over on downs inside the 40 twice, missed the field goal, lost the fumble, all in scoring territory. And that's four blown scoring chances in a game that you lost by three. Now, the offense scored 42 points, so you can't say the offense cost you the game, but missed opportunities cost IU that game. Um, you know, the loss to Iowa. IU had a pass intercepted at the 11-yard line. Uh, lost to Michigan State. You said you just rewatched that one. 
maybe you can tell me how big of a, I don't remember this, but maybe you can tell me how big of a momentum swing this was. IU trailed 7 nothing, got down to the Michigan State 6, and I remember feeling pretty good about the way they'd moved, but then they had to settle for a field goal. You know, score there and you're tied 7-7 to as opposed to still down 7-3, to and against the defense as big as Michigan, as good as Michigan State's, you have to take advantage of every opportunity. Um, but that, that derives cool. just a pretty good example of a missed opportunity that you need to do better at when you get inside the 10. Yeah, and, I mean, at least they came away with points on that Michigan State drive. And sure, I'll reference yeah. this game just because it's the freshest in my mind. I mean, the tur- turning point of that game was after Diamond scored, they they went up 17-14. The place is, you know, the place is loud. People are into it. And it was a pretty good atmosphere for, you know, the 35,000, 40,000 people who were there. Um, but the the, the, the drive tur- or the game turned on the on the next – uh, drive when Michigan State, uh, I think it was, uh, oh, it was uh, a young corner went for an interception and missed it, and Josiah Price uh, went down. Uh, it was a 66-yard pass play, and they mm-hmm. ended up scoring and taking the lead. Uh, and then IU had another three and out and and came back, and Michigan State came back and scored again to go up at halftime by 11. Uh, and this is all within the last five minutes of the half. So, I mean, finishing drives and finishing halves are going to be very important. IU was shut out in the second half, uh, and then the defense ran out of gas, and and they lost uh, 56-17. But the defense, you know, what I took away from that game was the defense played pretty well, you know, in the first half, uh, and then then they just ran out of gas. IU, with Diamant under center in his first start, couldn't get anything going again you know, third downs, even the third and shorts there were, uh, you know, unsuccessful. You just can't rely on a running back to get you all your yards against a defense like Michigan State. Now, Tevin Coleman had a great game against them, uh, but mm-hmm. when you pass for 11 yards, you're not going to win games. And Diamant, you know, I give him credit. He was very courageous last year. I think he earned the respect of coaches, fans. Uh, he certainly earned my respect, and, and I think he re- earned his respect from his teammates, too, for how he played. And as the year went along, he, he definitely got better. But there were some throws that maybe if, you know, this game was played when we played Purdue, it's a little different. But, um, yeah, you know, the Bowling Green game, Tevin fumbles uh, in the red zone. Uh, then there's Iowa. There's a couple picks. Uh, you miss a couple fourth downs, and, and you know it all also comes down to special teams. And you see that you know they opened up the year with Aaron Del Grasso kicking, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he was not good. He missed, you know, he was one for three on field goals. They bring in Griffin Oaks, who was solid. He did a great job. He has a big leg, but again, he wasn't that consistent. He missed, I believe, he missed a field goal against uh, Penn State. He missed a field goal against Purdue. Uh, so those are all missed opportunities that, you know, if points inside the 40, IU should be getting around five or six. Mm-hmm. For an offense that's supposed, that is supposed to be great, they should be in the top 20. Um, now, I haven't looked at the numbers to see what they are in the top 20, but if you could get, you know, it, you're not going to score a touchdown every time. But if you could get five points, maybe six points every time inside the 40, you're going to be pretty good, and that's an elite offense. And that's, you know, going back to 
2013, you know, everybody said that was an elite offense. That offense could have been better. Um, yes. And if yeah. we want it, if if fans want an elite offense, they got to improve that number. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the Penn State game with Simi Cobb's drop. You know, that was a 13-7 to game. So, I mean, Penn State did not have a good offense by any stretch, but they had a really good defense. And IU's defense showed up for that game, played really well. Uh, you know, IU crossed midfield five times without scoring, and you lost by six. So these are relatively small things that we're talking about, but they add up. And when you're playing, when you're a program like IU, your margins for error are so small uh, because there are going to be some games where you you get blown out. There's going to be some games where you you blow out the opponent when you're playing in Indiana State or in North Texas. Um, but for the most part, your margin for error is going to be so small in these games that in order to get to that magic six wins, these small things add up, and IU is going to have to really clean up these minor details that become major um, when you consistently don't execute inside the 40 or you consistently don't execute on third down on offense and defense. You know, you, you, yeah, you and, and I'm going to beat this with a dead horse or beat this, uh, you know, with a, a stick like a dead horse. Special teams, too. And, and for a program, yeah. you're 100% right, TJ. A program at IU, these are not minor things. These are the things that you have to do right to win. You have to do the little things. Um, and, and we'll look at the Ohio State game as an example. IU played, mm-hmm. you know, the defense played great in the first half. They played great in the third quarter. They had that team shut down. Um, all of a sudden, Ohio State, they stop Ohio State. Their punter makes an unbelievable punt. It dies at the one-yard line. And, uh, you know, IU goes three and out, and, and they punt. And I don't know if Toth mishit it or, or just outkick coverage at uh, that time. But the coverage wasn't great, and Jalen Marshall takes it back for a touchdown, and that that changes the game. Um, and, and I use special teams. You know, Bill Connolly has some special teams uh, efficiency. I think that they ranked overall as 89th, which isn't. It's not good, but you know, it's still in double digits. Their punt return efficiency was 94th. Their punt punting efficiency was 101st. Um, you know, 10% of their kickoffs went out of bounds. So special teams especially need to be better. They need to get win the field position battle. Uh, I think Griffin Oaks coming, you know, for a second year, he's going to be better, you know, more consistent and better on kickoffs. Um, but the the return game, especially, uh, I don't flip field position. If you could get some great returns, I think they do have the guys this year uh, to to come out and, and make a, an impact in you know punt return and kickoff return. Um, so I, I mean, it's all the little things. You're right. It's all these little things that add up the big things. But at IU and schools like IU, and and if you want to upset these big time teams. These little things are the big things. They're yep. not, you know, minor details that could be covered up by elite players on offense and defense. Um, these are the things that, you know, where depth in recruiting helps. You know, you see Ohio State's, uh, Ohio State special teams, 
Urban makes starters play special teams. He says if you're not playing special teams, you're not going to start. Uh, so, you know, hopefully th- there's an uptick on, on the special team side of it. I think Jay Sean Harris, um, maybe LaRae Smith, I know I, I've mentioned his name before, gets into return games. Uh, Richard Fant it, it could be a very good returner, but I don't know if you want to burn him uh, returning mm-hmm. kicks when you need him on defense. Uh, so, you know, all these little things that, that become very frustrating are the big things. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and you're right about, um, you know, the approach that Ohio State and other really successful teams and programs take towards special teams. I'll be interested to see, after a very underwhelming year in special teams, I'd be interested to see the approach that the IU coaching staff takes towards it this coming season in regards to personnel. Um, You know, we, we know that just strictly based on recruiting rankings, and what we see to our, you know, our eye test, if you will, um, Indiana's overall talent level from the top of the roster to the bottom of it has improved and continues to improve. Um, and that, that should help on special teams, as you said, with that depth of recruiting. It's certainly not at an Ohio State level or even a top 25 school level, um, but it is much better than it was, say, four years ago. Um, now, that, that should have helped last year, and it didn't. But I do think that the overall talent level on this team is better than it was, is going to be better than it was last season. Uh, they're not going to have a player as good as Tevin Coleman, um, and that they probably won't for probably for as long as we're doing this podcast. But uh, I think the overall level from top to bottom is going to be better, and that should help on those return units. But a lot of it is the approach to it and the mindset of it and IU's going to have to really approach it like it's a really important thing if they want to make a positive difference on that side, uh, that third side of the game. So uh, we're looking forward to to seeing, I'm looking forward to seeing what approach they have towards special teams because the the field position game is, is something that, you know, we talk about quite a bit on here, and I think people do understand it's important, but Usually, it's a time that a lot of fans just use to take a bathroom break and or go get a you know go go get another drink. But uh, you can pick up 15 to 20 yards pretty easily with a good return. Or if you're Jalen Marshall, you can break open a game and totally change the direction of it and the momentum of it just with one play. So um, yeah, and you know, after that punt return, he went. He went at. Yeah, after that punt return, he went absolutely insane. I think he had four touchdowns in 15 minutes, which is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also yeah. another thing on special teams, IU had, a, looking back, they had a lot of successful onside kicks. And that's a weapon, yeah. uh, you know, Wilson has alluded to, they do an option kick uh, where they read the, the, the kickoff return team. If they leave early or something, there's a, a, a tell that the opponent gives and and the kicker knows what this tell is, and, and they onside kick it. They open the game against Rutgers with it. Um, mm-hmm. I think they had one both against Indiana State and against uh, North Texas. They were successful against Iowa with it. Um, they they should have been successful twice against Iowa, but somebody was ruled offsides on one of them. Uh, but that that could be a weapon too, and, and I know it's a high risk, you know, high reward uh, type of thing where you're giving the person the ball more or less at more, uh, midfield, 
probably around the 40 or 45 yard line. Um, but if you recover it, and IU has recovered a lot of them since Wilson's been here, uh, you start in opponent's territory, and it gives you, you know, usually either you're starting the game with the ball uh, and doing it over, and so you get the ball to start each half uh, then, or you're kicking off after a score, and you could go for back-to-back scores and really change the momentum of the game. So, you know, while while – you know, we we kill some of the special teams units uh, for their inefficiency. I think they have done a great job with this onside kick, and it has become a, a real weapon in, in that arsenal on uh, both special teams and offense. Um, TJ, uh, this half hour goes really, really quickly, um, and and I, I wish we could have an hour to, to sit here and, and talk more football. Uh, but next week uh, we're going to jump into more statistics from last year. Uh, if you haven't uh, read Bill Connolly's preview, do it. There is a cheat sheet for their uh, stats glossary. I have to use it because, uh, man, these stats, some of them are a little bit complicated uh, <laughs> for, for me. Uh, but it's really good, really in-depth. Uh, you know, they, they come out every day or every other day. Uh, so I think th- there's got to be 30 or 40 out already. Uh, he's been writing them since February. Uh, so mm-hmm. go check it out. Some of uh, IU's opponents are on there. We're looking at that, and we'll bring you previews of, of the season coming up in the next you know, month or so. Uh, but, TJ, thanks for coming on, and uh, next week we'll we'll break down more stats. Absolutely. I look forward to doing more of the same, and uh, we'll have some good content up before then on Hoosier Huddle. So uh, stay tuned. Have a good week. All right, All right. you too, TJ. Um. You can follow us at HoosierHuddle.com. We are on Twitter uh, at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Send us your questions, your comments. Uh, we all love uh, interacting with with the fans. Uh, I know uh, TJ does, I do, and Nick does. And uh, before we leave, I want to wish Nick a happy birthday. He His birthday was yesterday. Uh, he had a good one, uh, according to him. So happy birthday, Nick, and thanks for all you do for us. Um, also, uh, if you're looking for a Father's Day present or a graduation present, please, uh, you know, if you're looking for IU stuff, please go to our site, click on our Hoosier shop. Uh, it helps support us and, and our writers as well as some travel fees. So um, have a great day, and we look forward to talking more football with you next week. <laughs>